This month, we want to talk about God's promise to restore. And the theme for this month is leading us into our Word Explosion uh, conference. Restoration is what God does because as human beings, we have an, a tendency somehow to regress, backslide, to go back. When you read the Old Testament, you note that the story holds true, even for the children of Israel, who at a point they would serve God with all their hearts, and then from nowhere they would defect from serving God, do other stuff, and as a result of moving away from God, they would have famine, all kinds of problems happen to them. Worst of all, they would get captured, get taken into slavery, and then they would cry out to God, and then God would hear their prayers and take them out of slavery, and then bring restoration, and then the process will start again. And you'll see today, even as we go through some of the historical facts of the church, that the same holds true in history. Nevertheless, the good thing is that God is a God of restoration. And I believe a scripture that talks at length about this and in a broader sense, and we're going to use this as our main text. This is the text we're going to be examining we're going to look at different facets of it. Joel chapter 2, and I'm reading the New King James Version Bible from verse 22 to verse 29. It's a long reading, but we will read all of it. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army, which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God. Can I hear an hallelujah there? The Lord who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. Then shall you know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. He says my people shall never be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days. Hallelujah. So we're going to be working with that scripture because it covers so many different aspects of restoration. The part that I like which I think we're going to be sort of concluding with towards the end, is when it talks about when God pours out His Spirit, note how He, it starts with the sons and the daughters. 
talks about the young men seeing visions. We see God visiting the young people. We see God touching the lives of the young people. If, if you look at what's happening in the world today, God is touching the lives of young people. So somehow it should be that we are right standing on the verge of a renewal, a revival, a restoration. God says, I will restore. In other words, this is my project. I will restore. I will restore the years. The years the locust has eaten, the years the cankerworm has eaten, the caterpillar, the palmerworm, this great army, I will restore. The good thing with God, it doesn't matter how long things have not been in the right place, when God shows up, he does a good work. Doesn't matter how long, God's never too late, God is never too early, God is always on time. And when God visits, he does a good work, he does restore. Oh, I don't know if you are ready for your restoration, but God restores. God says, I will restore, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Interesting, this book we are reading from, the author thereof is Jewel. And as you know, like our African names, names in the Bible have a specific meaning, historical meaning. It could be tied to an event that is coming, but many of the names, they had a meaning. The name Jewel in particular means Jehovah is God. And the message in the book of Jewel, Jewel calls the attention to God's people of this massive locust plague that will be coming in the way of God's people because of their disobedience. And that drought would come and it would sweep throughout Judah. You find that in chapter 1, verse 7. And then he says these locusts, these destructive locusts would strip the foliage. They would strip all the trees, the shrubs, the crops, and the people of Judah. Not only would they face this starvation and famine and this invasion, but there would be a catastrophe that would follow thereafter. And the news of the prophet are not really great. But just like God, the prophet says, in spite of all of that, if you will turn to God with all your heart, with fasting, with mourning, God will respond. The good thing with God is it doesn't matter how long you've been away from him. It doesn't matter how long you are on the wrong path. If you decide to turn and turn towards God and get on the right path, God doesn't say, where have you been all these years? Uh -uh. God becomes like the prodigal son's father who when he sees you from afar off, he runs towards you, he embraces you, and he includes you in his family. And Joel says, God says, I will restore. But the condition is you have to turn to me. And he is very clear about it in chapter 2, verse 12. He says, you have to turn to me with all your heart. It can't be fake. It can't be half-hearted. You've got to do it with all your heart, with fasting and with mourning. And if you do that and you turn to God and you repent from your wrong and you humble yourself, then I will restore God says, when I restore, because of your repentance, then plenty will come in the land. Everything that was taken, everything that was stolen, everything that was eaten, I will bring back. Can I hear an amen? God says, you will move into a different season. Instead of a time of lack and want, instead of a time when you didn't know what to do, I'm going to bring you into a season of plenty because of what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to bring you plenty and your vets and your, and your storehouses will overflow. God says, I will not give you enough. I will give you more than enough. And then he says, it will also be a day of renewal and restoration marked by the outpouring of my spirit. Because it's not enough just to have food. The main thing is gone. I'm going to do something among you spiritually. And I'll visit you. Your, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And the old men will dream dreams. And, and even upon your maid servants and your servants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days. And it will come to pass, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wow. God is a God who restores. And when you read the Old Testament, this concept of restoration, this word for restore, when you study it, everywhere it's used, it carries the following connotations, if you want to write down. It means to be completed. See, when God restores, he completes. See, God never leads us to do things that are half-finished. How many of you are sitting next to somebody? No, 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 I'm just saying. At least Murutin Sigus Amit. But God completes. God never does things half. But there are times, if you've ever been involved in projects or in doing anything in vision, there are times when things get stuck. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You start something, get stuck. God says, no, when I come in and restore, I'll make sure you finish. That word restore also carries the connotation of finishing. Or to make prosper. I like that one. To make prosper, to make succeed. You know, success comes from God. Yeah, and and I know when we use the word prosper, people immediately think of money. Prosperity is more than money. Yeah, it includes money, Mara. It's far more than money. There there is prospering spiritually where you have a healthy, vibrant relationship with God. Oh, hallelujah. You are born again and spirit-filled. You can hear the voice of God and you walk in the anointing of God. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, in the words of Jesus, you are among the blessed ones who can hear with the ear of the Spirit. You can hear what God is saying and His Word is revealed in your heart. God says, I'll restore, I'll make you prosper. So that word, restore, means to make prosper. I like this one. It also means to recompense. To recompense. The word recompense means to pay back. Recompense. It means as well to rescue And for those of you with your digital, with your digital uh, 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 gadgets, it means to refresh. You saw right now with the picture of uh, uh, Bishop Caesar Mulebasi, it was frozen there on the screen. Yeah? And they couldn't scroll to the next picture. So what did they have to do to the computer? Have to do something. Refresh it. You press a button. In other words, it's in good working order. But even if things are in good working order, sometimes they get stuck. Hey, how many of you know you can have everything in its rightful place? On, 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 on a level of, on an academic level, things should work. Hmm? You earn enough money from work, you should be cutting, breaking even. But even if you're earning enough money and you should be breaking even, but somehow you're not breaking even. Yeah, somehow you're stuck somewhere. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? God says, don't worry, I'll come and I'll press the refresh button for you. I will reset it for you. God says, I will restore. I will restore. That word also means to to set again. 
You know, sometimes the settings of a, of a gadget go out, you know. Uh, so you have to take it in. Recently, my car was misbehaving. You know, these, these modern cars that, that have too much, that are too computerized are problematic. I like the old cars. Yeah, I know I'm not progressive. I understand. But I like the old cars that don't need any computer. If it malfunctions, you just kick it, and then it works. Anybody know how many of you have had a car like that? Eh? For it to move, you kick it, you blow it, you shove it, and then it works. These computerized ones, that you have to have a specific computer that has a specific program and the latest program. Yeah, you know, you know when you take it in for servicing, they just plug it in and diagnose it with a computer, and they just do all kinds of things. And then sometimes they find that the, 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 the settings are, are off, you know? So they just do the resetting, and then it starts behaving correctly, you know? Yeah, tell your neighbor, God is going to reset you because you've not been behaving correctly recently. God's going to press the reset button. <laughs> that word, restore, it also means to retrieve. To retrieve. In other words, when God restores, he retrieves what's lost. Just like when you're working on your computer. I'm using that because that's what you use most of the time. First time I was using a computer, when I was still learning to use a computer, I worked on this sermon of mine. And you know, when you are our age, I'm better now. But then when I started, you're looking for all the alphabets. A, B, one, two. <laughs> and I'd worked on that document. I think I'd worked for two weeks. Yeah, and I had this beautiful sermon. And I don't know what I did. I pressed a button and the old sermon disappeared. <laughs> After two weeks of working. Man, was I angry. I tell you. I remember Edwin... At the time, he used to be our, our technical support here at the church. And I phoned Edwin. I was, I, was, I was panicking. I said, Edwin. And I mean, this thing disappears just, two, two, just a day before I come to preach. I mean, how do you like that? I mean, working for the thing for several weeks, it disappears on a Saturday, and I'm supposed to be preaching the following day. I phoned Edwin, and I said, Edwin, 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 please, <laughs> help. <laughs> I said, come here. So he came over. He went to my computer. I don't know what he did. And then he pressed a button. And he said, and I said, oh, what are you doing? He says, I'm, I'm retrieving the document. I said, retrieve? You mean it's not all gone? He says, no, 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 it's still there. It's just in its own world, Mara. He has to bring back. <laughs> yeah, I'm busy suffering, acting like I don't have anything, living like someone who doesn't have something. When in the meantime, what I need, I've got, but it's somewhere in another world and it needs an expert to press a retrieve button. I'm saying God is going to retrieve in your life everything that has not been working. Can I hear an amen and an hallelujah? God's going to bring back and press a retrieve button. When God restores, he presses that retrieve button. But I love this one. That word restore also means to cause to renew. In other words, God removes staleness and predictability from us. And it brings about a newness of life. Sometimes I get concerned as people stay longer being Christians, particularly those who don't learn to press the refresh button. That they become too churchy, too proper, too stale, they become emotionless, not moved. They don't say amen. They don't say ain't. 
is those that even when you preach, they finish the sentence because they've heard that sermon ten times before. And then during praise and worship, when the young people come to the front and sing here, they're not happy because these young people are causing a noise. And they say to their neighbor, I'm not going to the front. You stay here and be like me. I don't want to be like you. I want to be like these young people right in the front. But that's because you can get to a point where even if you serve God, it's all form. Doesn't come from the heart anymore. And it's not life anymore. And this is why sometimes even if we have to do the liturgy as it's correct, sometimes we can do liturgy and repeat certain things in prayer, pray from our books and so on, that we don't even hear what we're saying anymore. We can sing songs of worship and just go through the ritual and never mean a word we say in our hearts. Oh, God needs to restore. Hallelujah. So restoration, according to the Bible, is the putting back into existence and the putting back into use. That which has been lost, stolen, or misplaced. The putting back into existence. The putting back into use. That which has been lost, stolen, or misplaced. And in the Old Testament, we have many examples of Job, Abraham, and Sarah. Job in Job chapter 1. Verse 20, 22 and chapter 19, verse 25. Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18. Where God restores this old couple that was past childbearing age. Just when they were about to write their obituary. She had menopause, he had bubble post. That's my term there. That's the male menopause. I don't know if we have a menopause as males. Bible pause. Yeah, yeah, put it in the dictionary. Bible pause. They themselves had never even thought they would have a child. And amazing how God works in the life of Sarah. That one day, when Abraham is visiting another land, King Abimelech sees this 80-something-year-old 80 grandma. And the Bible says the king desires her for his heroine. And wants the lady. And Abraham knew that. And the Bible says because Abraham knew that the king would want his wife, he decided that when they ask me, who is this one, I'm going to say she's my sister. Because if I tell the brother, she's my wife, the brother's going to kill me and get my wife for me. And I just wonder what God had done to Sarah. I, I, I sort of wonder that these things that we do, the recent things that we do medically, what do you call them? Come on, tell them. Yeah, yeah? Botox. Yeah, that's the, 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 the Old Testament Botox. God has done a better Botox than the Botox that you can find. That Sarah was even prettier than the 16-year-olds or the 18-year-olds. Can, can you imagine being 80 years old and being prettier than an that and king will pass an 18-year-old and come for you, 80-year-old grandma. Oh, my goodness. But not, not only did God make her pretty, on the outside, she reformed her body so that her body would be able to carry pregnancy. Doctors will tell you. 
Hey, being pregnant, and I've never been pregnant. I've watched my wife being pregnant. So uh, I'm not talking from experience. I'm talking from observation. And knowledge. You have to be physically healthy enough to be able to carry a pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. Imagine an 80-year-old having to carry a child full term. And she didn't even do the C-section when she gave birth to the child. It was all natural. And uh, for her to be able to do that and still come out of it healthy must mean restoration is a powerful thing. Uh, I see God restoring somebody in the house. Oh, yeah. And God restores what has been lost, stolen, or misplaced. What about the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37? You all know the story. Amazing. That not only were the bones in the valley, the Bible says they were dry. Which tells us they'd been there for a long time. And God brings them, prophet, into the valley and asks him a question. Same way God is asking you a question as you stand in the valley of dry bones, wherever in your life. Sometimes we come to those spaces. Sometimes we come to those challenges where you stand in a place where it looks like a valley of dry bones. And in the natural, there's no way life can come out of there. There's no way anything can come out of there. And God asks you a question that you cannot answer. It's impossible to answer. Son of man, can these bones live again? I hear God asking somebody, son of man, can this business live again? Son of man, can this marriage live again? Son of man, can this church live again? Son of man, can this thing live again? And I like the way the man of God does it. says, God, you are the only one who knows. <laughs> Lest I say the wrong thing, I don't want to end up like one of the bones here. God, you are the only one who knows. And God begins to give divine instructions. See, when God gives divine instructions and you obey divine instructions, there is something about the instructions of God that bring life back to things that are dead. Prophesy to the bones. God doesn't say prophesy about the bones. He doesn't say talk about the bones. He doesn't say talk about the situations. He says talk to the situation. But you talk to the situation by the inspiration of God. Prophesy to the bones. And he prophesies to the bone. And the, and the neck bone was connected to the head bone. And the head bone to the Shoulder bone and the shoulder bone to the arm bone and the arm bone to the mm-mm. And all the bones come together again. Isn't it amazing that even in that restoration, God does it in process. One thing on the other. And when God starts restoring one to the other, at the end, he says, even if the skeleton is standing there, Flesh has to come on it. Oh, even when flesh comes on it, spirit must come on it. Hey, don't run just because there was one small and a miracle. God is not done yet. God is still restoring. Hey, don't, don't disconnect from God. Don't stop believing God. Don't stop praying. Don't stop waiting on God. Allow God to finish what he started. Paul says, been confident of this very thing that he who started a good work among you will bring it to completion. 
That's restoration. God brings to completion what he starts. In the New Testament, there's interesting stories of restoration that we read about. We call them healings. But when you study them, really these are stories of restoration. In Mark chapter 3 verse 5, Jesus commanded a man with a withered hand to stretch forth his hand. This man's hand was not healed. It was restored. Please listen. He had the hand, but it was dysfunctional. (laughs) He had a hand that had no life in it. He had a hand that was part of his life, but it wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. As I said, sometimes you can be in a space where you have everything you should have. But things are not working as they should be working. You are in that space. Rightfully, they should be working. Mara, they are not working. This is where God says, don't worry. I will restore. And Jesus tells the man with the withered hand. He doesn't give him a new hand. He says, the same old hand that has not been working. Stretch it. The same church that has been closed for many years. Let life come back again. Ah, can I hear a good amen? Can I hear a good amen? The the same space. You know, I've told people, and I'm sure many of the pastors here and people in ministry who are with us today and the pastors who are here probably have made this observation. I've seen it everywhere, all over the world. It seems like spaces and areas that churches use, when they start using those places, some restoration power comes upon those spaces. You know about churches even in, the, in Nigeria, Ghana, some of the ministers who went to pieces of land that were far from the main community, bought the piece of land, started a church there. <laughs> and before long, not only was the church there, there was a community around there. I saw this in Ghana. One of Bishop Dark Heward Mills' bishops. And he went to this faraway place. I mean, no community in the area. They built the church. You go there now. There's houses all around. There's a new community. Yeah. God is able to do that. Few months ago, I was in Venda, not Toyando. There's another area I forget, more towards Musina and uh, Njelele. Yeah, Ah. I know Njelele. Yeah. And we're in Njelele there. We went there because there's a funeral. One of our workers had uh, their parent had passed, we'd gone there. And then there's a Muruti that I know there, uh, uh, Mfunisimuhali who actually bought a piece of land there and they built a church there. And I went there, hey, and there's houses around there that can put sentence to shame. I tell you, there's just something about the presence of God. And when God begins to restore, 
And you go around and you wonder, where do these people get this money? Well, it's restoration. When God begins to restore, what he does doesn't make sense at all. The land was there, but it was lying there, barren. It was lying there and undeveloped, not working. The man's hand was there, but it was not working. But when Jesus shows up, in the same way when Jesus shows up in your life, he says, that very thing that has not been working, let life come back to it. Tell your neighbor, life is coming back. Life is coming back. Life is coming back. What about the blind man in Bethesda? Bethsaida, rather. I want us to read that story, if you don't mind. I didn't bring my other. Let me have my other antenna. Let's have Mark. Yeah. Can you go back, please? Can you go back on that story? I don't know where. I didn't write the whole thing. I only wrote the verse. Uh, let it go back. Keep going back. Again. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> uh, come back again. 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 Hey. Go forward. I can say, we don't come. Go forward. No, no. Go to the next 17. Go to 17. Yeah, there you are. Whoever helped you, the Lord bless him. Okay, let's read. Then Jesus came to Bethsaida. Do you see that, right? And they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. Do you see that, right? Keep going, please, with the verse. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Next verse. And Jesus put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was what? He was what? He was what? Now, why does it say restored? How are you not answering me? You see, sometimes with blind people, sometimes with blind people, there are those that actually may not even, some have eyeballs, some don't have eyeballs. Certainly this guy had eyeballs, had eyes that were not functioning. So Jesus didn't put new eyes. Let me give you an example. If I take this pulpit to be restored, right? So I take it into the people who work with plastic and they clean it up and juge it up. Comes back here, it's more shiny, more bling blingy than it is right now. It won't be a new pulpit. It will be a renewed pulpit. Right? I didn't buy it off the shelf. I just brought it back to life and made it look better than the way it was when it was here. So the man at Bethsaida, his eyes were restored. Now I like this one. Let's go to John chapter 5 and we're going to close with that one. This one I like. John chapter 5 and you'll have to go back again even on this one. Yeah, thank you. Now a certain man was there. No, let's go back. To verse 4. I don't know. Uh, again, go back. Sorry, I didn't write this. 
again go back. <laughs> again go back. Yeah. After this, there was the feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. I we must start somewhere. You can't just find him in, and you don't know where he started. Okay, next verse. Now, there was in Jerusalem, by the ship gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. Are you all there by his? Now, I want you to see this story because I want to end with it. Next verse. And there lay a great multitude of sick people, blind people, lame people, paralyzing people. Note, they were waiting for something. They were waiting for something. They were waiting for the moving of the water. They were waiting for that. These are people, they are in that condition, but they are waiting for something, so they keep their eye on that. For the angel went down at a certain time into the pool, stirred up the water, then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he was. Are we all there, ne? That's the background. So there was a certain man who had an infirmity 38 years. So this guy has not been well for 38 years now. We don't know how old he is, but we know he's been sick for 38 years. Are we, are we together, right? Next verse. When Jesus saw him lying there, and note the next expression, and he knew that he had already been there in that condition for a long time. This is a very difficult question. He asks him a question. Do you want to be made well? Just keep that verse. How, Jesus? How do you do that? I mean, you know the brother has been there. You know the man has been in that condition for 38 years. If you know he has been in that condition for 38 years, why don't you just go ahead and heal the brother? Why ask him a question if he wants to be made well? More so that you are finding him next to the place where he thinks he's going to get help. Why are you asking him? Please listen carefully. This is where most people miss it. Where they think God just works and God works on his own, sovereignly. That if God knows about something in your life, he's going to sort it out. That's not how it works. And please don't ask me. I don't know why the Bible is like that. I don't know. Why must Jesus ask the brother? He can see the man. And the Bible on top says he knows. So in the, in the, same, way, in the same way, God knows about things in your life. You know, most people say, no, God knows, God knows. Well, so what? Even if he knows, he still asks the question. He asks this man, and note, the question is simple. <laughs> Do you want to be made well? No, 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 please. You know, exam time is coming for you young people, not too long. But this is a, this is a, this is a multiple choice question, and it has two possible answers. Either yes or no. This is this question. Do you want to be made well? But note what the man does in the verse next. The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But as I am coming, another one stepped down. You know, the problem is this. This guy's condition... He had been in this condition for a long time that he cannot understand a simple question. 
But not only that, it's even more tragic that even when Jesus is standing in front of him, he still pins his hope on other men. And, and, and Jesus is standing, the author of life is standing here and he's saying, I have no man. I have no man. And he's not answering the question. But you know, God is good. Look at the next verse. God is good. Jesus said to him, rise up. Now, note what Jesus is doing. Jesus is forcing the guy to take a step. Rise up. Rise up. Do something. Take a step. Even if there's no man to put you in there, you do something. Don't wait for any man. You take the step of faith. You rise up. You rise up. Take up the very bed that has been a symbol of you being immobilized, the very thing that has been oppressing you, the very thing that you've been lying on and it's been preaching to you that you are a nobody. Take that very thing and walk. Look at the next verse, verse 9. And immediately, somebody say immediately. The expression says the man was made well. In the original it says the man was restored. So watch. If God's going to bring restoration in our lives, we are going to have to seek his face, ask from him, and when he gives us divine instructions, take a step. Don't look around and say, I've been here for a long time. There's no man to help me. I'm not the right one. I'm too young. I'm too old. You can't do that. God wants to restore in your life. Let's close. When God restores, the biblical significance of restoration in relation to the church is that when God restores to the church, it becomes the recovery of the divine principles the divine truths that were known by the church, believed by the church, taught by the church, and experienced by the church, particularly the early church. That's according to Ephesians 2.20 and 1 Corinthians 3.10. It's the recovery of divine principles and truths that were known, believed, taught, and experienced by the early church. So when God restores to the church, as I'll be showing you in the coming few weeks, is everything that the early church was experiencing is what we should be experiencing as the church. God presses the reset button, the renew button. God presses the retrieve button, brings back what the early church had, what it walked in. And when God begins to inspire us by the Spirit to take certain steps, we take those steps. And that's when renewal happens. Restoration, secondly, involves a renewal of that spiritual life that comes as a result of applying these principles. 1 Timothy 4, verse 15 and 16. A renewal of that spiritual life that results in the application of those spiritual truths. What does it mean? When we apply these biblical truths, our spiritual life gets renewed. Yeah. So there's a new life that comes, a vibrancy that comes. When you move from form and tradition to experience, where you don't only read about the anointing, you experience the anointing. 
Oh my goodness. You don't only read about divine healing, you experience divine healing as you see people being healed and filled with the Holy Spirit. As you move from that to the other, there's something about your life that becomes different. And finally, restoration involves a completion of God's plan of the ages. In other words, he brings into existence all those things that were foretold by the prophets. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. Everything that the prophets foretold about the church will come to pass and will happen. Remember what Jesus said. He said, upon this rock I will build my church. It may look like at some times in historical times, it may seem like the church is not doing well. It may look like the church is sick. It may look like the church is not in the driving seat. But don't worry. Jesus hasn't abandoned his construction program. Jesus said, I will build my church. And he says, the church I'm going to build, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this is why the church needs to rise up by the power of God. And notice that we are living in times of restoration. We're living in times where God is retrieving and bringing back into the church the truth that we once believed. Whatever God starts, he will complete. Even if the vision may be taking long, Habakkuk says the vision is for an appointed time. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come to pass. Let me close. Pastor Ray McCauley liked to say this. The church has yet to come into the fullness of its finest hour. What you see now is simply a foretaste of the fullness of what God is about to do. I say this as a conviction from my spirit. I believe that the finest hour of the church of Jesus Christ is on the horizon. Much as we are moving into ages that are unpredictable and times in the history of the world where it seems like evil is prevailing and systems of the world seem to be coming worse and worse. But remember, it's in the presence of darkness where light shines the most. And God is about to restore. And remember, it is when times are tough, when the light of the church and the light of the gospel shines brighter. And it's for us as the church to be ready like Sarah, ready like Abraham. When God says, I am going to give you life, I'm going to give you a child. It will not come by human effort, but it will come. He says, at this time next year, this is what's going to happen. And for those of you who have had things dead in your life, things not working in your life, I believe God is starting that process of restoration in your life. Oh, yeah. And like the other people who reached out to God and asked for restoration, you can reach out to God and ask for restoration. Remember in Jewel, the restoration was preceded by a people seeking God. When we pray, when we seek God, when we seek his face, when we ask him earnestly, and when we do so in a protracted way, in a steadfast way, in a prolonged way, where we pray unceasing prayers, 
We pray the until prayer. We pray and we don't give up. A new life gets born. God begins to work. And restoration begins to happen. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Oh, we love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for restoration. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for moving in our lives to restore God. For those whose life seems dead and dry, those who've had a crisis of faith, I thank you that this morning you'll stir their hearts up. God, not, not to give them an emotional experience, but to give them a stirring of the heart that is real. Heads bowed, please, eyes closed. Father, I know that in this place there are men, there are women whose lives have gone off course. They've lost their settings. They are your children, but they've lost their settings. And I know the touch of the Holy Spirit upon their lives will reset everything. And even now as well, God, there are people here who may be here for the first time, some of them. Some, it's not their first time. But as yet, they haven't had an encounter with you, Jesus, in knowing you as Savior and Lord of their lives. Though they go to church, though they love church, but they haven't come into a personal experience of receiving Christ as Savior and Lord. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is ready, even now, to change them and transform them. Heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. If you are here and you haven't received Christ as Savior and Lord as yet, but you want to do so right now, you want to invite Jesus to come into your heart to be the Savior and the Lord of your life. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you've come on your own. This might not be your first time. It might be your first time, whatever the case. But when you look on your life, you know in your heart of hearts, you really don't have a living experience of knowing Christ as Savior and Lord. You know about Jesus, but you haven't come into a personal knowledge of being changed by God. This morning, as you've been listening to God's word, you realize that God is concerned for you. God wants to change you. God wants to transform your life. So right where you are, if you are the one who says, I need prayer. My life is not right before God, but I know God can make things right in my life. Would you please pray for me? If that is you and you need the prayer, just indicate by raising your hand right where you are. I'd like to pray for you. Just raise it up without any fear, without any shame. Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, is able to change and transform our lives. Thank you for those hands. Bless you. Thank you for those hands. Just raise your hand. Don't be, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. No matter 
who's sitting next to you doesn't make any difference. Doesn't make any difference. If you know in your heart of hearts, I'm not certain, I'm not sure. I need Jesus to come into my heart. Raise that hand. Thank you for those hands. May I ask all of you who raised their hands, would you please stand on your feet right where you are, please. Just stand on your feet, all over the place. Just stand all over, all over, all over. That's right, that's right. That's right. That's right, that's right. That's good. This is what it's about. We are here to have an encounter with God. We are here to let God change our lives. I want to pray for all of you. This is an important decision that you are making. So I'm going to invite you to come from where you are standing. Take all your belongings. Don't leave your belongings behind. And just walk all the way to the front, all right? Come, let's pray with you. Don't sit back down, my brother. Just come. Come, let's pray for you. Give them a big hand, everybody. 